So I would encourage everyone to sit down and think, instead of just giving the highlights or just the low light, what details really matter to help weave the story together? And how can I deliver those in a way that feels authentic and comfortable with who I am? Welcome to the Trailblazing in Color podcast, where we talk to change makers and innovators focused on upending systems not designed by or for them to create a more inclusive and equitable world. I'm your host, Sarah Chapman Becerra. Welcome to the show. Welcome, everyone. I can't wait to share more about our guest today, Cher Hale is the founder and director of Ginkgo PR, an agency that uses public relations to create a more equitable media landscape. As a Taiwanese Black American woman, Cher is passionate about leveraging the power of the media to take back narratives of historically excluded authors and entrepreneurs. When she's not pitching her clients, you can find her experimenting in the kitchen, tending to her garden, or learning Italian. She lives in Spokane, Washington, unceded Coeur d'Alene tribe territory, with her toddler. Welcome, Cher. Thank you, Sarah. I'm so excited to have you here. How are you doing today? How are you feeling? You know what? I was sad about fall, but the weather's been so beautiful that it's just like elevating my mood. I am like in a little bit of a grumpy period lately, but I think conversations like this is what I need the most to get out of that rut. What about you? Well, and we were talking before the interview started about how you're just coming off of a one-month sabbatical, which is fantastic and you're inspiring me but yeah it's hard to come back there's a little grumpiness with that too I'm sure yeah definitely it was so nice to have just like loads of time to read all the books all I wanted to do the whole time and then I'm like I can't read at 11 a.m any I mean I could but like with consequences right (laughs) got a business to run and meetings to engage in and clients to pitch and all of that but we just want to read and and lounge around well good for you for getting that time And I'm doing well today, too. It's Friday, not when this episode comes out, but it's Friday today. And so I am energized by the coming weekend. It's been a wild week, but I really want to talk about you. It's been a wild week because we're following our dreams and we're chasing our passions and we're building empires. And I want to hear about yours, (laughs) your pending empire. But really, I want to hear about the journey. So the journey, and we can go back as far back as you want to starting Ginkgo PR and having this be your focus. Yeah, I would say the origin story really begins at the end of someone else's life. So my mother passed away unexpectedly at the age of 49, so very young, and didn't have any longstanding health issues that would have suggested this. So it was shocking to all of us. And in the wake of her death, I knew that eventually I would make meaning from it. But it took probably about a year and a half before I, after sitting out for a long time, where I realized, huh, my mother in like her early 40s fell in love with both the Italian countryside and writing novels. She was an artist her entire life, but so writing was like a new medium for her. And English was not her first language, Chinese was. So she found her voice in telling the stories of these lustful, saucy romances in the Umbrian countryside. And it was her dream to publish these novels. We would have long conversations editing her books and also discussing how she might publish them. But she didn't get a chance to, unfortunately. And I have all of her manuscripts. And I thought, man, I have all of the skills 
to help people like her who don't have the platform or the privilege to be seen or heard tell their stories with their own voices. So why am I not doing that? I pivoted from a very monochromatic client roster to a much more diverse one over the period of probably a year and a half or two years. And the mission for Ginkgo PR really came from that seed of inspiration of her following her own dream. That's beautiful. I I didn't know that story. I don't think it came up the first time we talked, but knowing that you have an opportunity to make someone else's dream come true because of what you see, you saw your mother's dream was. And thinking about your cultural background, your your mixed multicultural background as a Taiwanese Black American woman, what are some of the influences? You bring such a unique perspective to PR, to storytelling. How have you seen your cultural background influence your approach to PR and, and storytelling and helping people tell their narratives? Yeah, I mean, as a kid, I grew up seeing very few Asian role models, especially mixed Asian, like Asian and Black role models, just it was like Kimora Lee Simmons, I think was the only option that I had. There are far more now, thankfully, but back then it was very limited. And so I know what it feels like to tokenize somebody and to be tokenized. And I bring that awareness into my work consistently, right? How can I help my clients stand out and tell their own stories without tokenizing them and forcing them to tokenize themselves or or mislabeling their stories that it's more appealing to the mass media, right? So I'm always towing this line between, yes, I want you to have greater exposure, but I want you to do it in your full authenticity and in a way that you feel safe. But I also know what it's like to not feel safe in my body or to to feel safe being visible. And I know so many cultures have a history of it not being safe to be visible. And while I don't address like the somatics or any of these body-based practices to, to overcome that fear, I am very aware of it. And so I always try my best to put my clients in safe spaces. What are some of the checks and balances just in your own mental processes or how you look at an aligned opportunity or a misaligned opportunity? It starts first from the tangible, right? So when I look at your website or your Instagram or listen to your podcast, Am I getting any red flags, yellow flags, beige flags? Like what's coming up for me? And if you pass the initial tests and it still feels wrong, I've learned to trust my body. I don't always make the right choice. I will say that first and foremost. But what I can rely on is the knowledge that even after the mistake or the misaligned interview, for example, I will take that knowledge for the future. And I'm going to archive that so that I can make smarter choices for you and for myself Mm -hmm. later on. Yeah, acknowledging that we're all going to make mistakes. You're going to you're going to mess up. And I really feel connected to that. That somatic, that body piece too because sometimes it really is a feeling in the gut or somewhere else in the body before it even becomes a rational thought of why. And you have to really kind of step back and say, "Why am I having this reaction to this?" because the logical mind isn't sure yet. And yet learning to trust your body I'm certain took some time too to where there have been phases of life where we haven't been able to trust that. Yeah, it's an ongoing inquiry. And as somebody who has been experiencing a host of like digestive dysfunction that's undiagnosed, I also know what it's like to like, you don't, if you don't feel safe in your body, you can't listen to it, Mm -hmm. right? If there's other stuff happening, like how can you possibly have a clear message come through? So it's easy to say, listen to your intuition. But for many people, it's clouded. And so I understand that 
it might be frustrating or feel confusing to follow that North Star. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is an ongoing inquiry is what I think you said. And just continuing to check in and learn new things about yourself and understand how you can bring that into these new experiences and new client engagements, which is where I want to go next and talk a little bit more about. So the work you do at Ginkgo PR is helping historically excluded authors and entrepreneurs take back their narratives. So this language I know is really intentional too, around taking it back. Maybe can you share for our audience a story or an example, a client example of what this looks like in practice? Yeah. So just to give you like the 10,000 foot perspective first, I think about, I think often about how many, how the media was used as a tool to either control or manipulate mass population, most likely marginalized ones. And that memory really hits me in, at a very deep level. Cause I think, wow, like we've always used it as a tool to keep people small or quiet or obedient and what could be possible if we used it for our own aims right and so I think this it comes at an incremental pace every single interview that I I land for a client who is telling a story of liberation actually I have a client who she create these education decks teaching African-American kids about maroon populations the maroon communities which were people who were enslaved who escaped during the slave time. And it helps children and families as a whole take back this power of like, wow, we weren't just like slaves who like uh, took, took orders. Like we, we were actually people who like rebelled and then created our own independent sovereign communities. And we were so like resourceful. And so I think every time she tells those stories or offers us resources, there's a shift for one family or for many. And that kind of incremental progress helps them take back their own voices. And it helps her also reclaim that heritage for herself. Connected to liberation, telling stories of liberation is such a powerful, hard left, a hard shift from how we've used media in the past and and using it to really inspire that equity and what long-term social change can look like and what it requires. Just taking it in, it's beautiful. And I, I definitely want to get the name of that deck if we can share it in our show notes too. Well, how do you measure success? How do you know if, if it's working? What are some of the, the levers that you look at to know, hey, am I spreading, helping to spread this message in the way that feels aligned, intentional, and successful? I'm a numbers girl. I don't know about you. But I really like to say, if we land this many booked interviews, then our engagement is successful. But for each interview that you actually go on, how did it feel? Did you feel connected to your message? Uh, did you have a deep conversation? Did something new come out? Did you learn something new about your own message or yourself or others and what they might need from you? I go there too. So I think there's a nice balance. And then I think the conversions they do make a difference, right? So are people subscribing afterwards? Are they liking your posts? All of these things matter. Are you getting applications for your program? And we measure on a case-by-case basis. And sometimes it's hard, right? You might not hear anything from a a new interview for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, but these are evergreen. And the engine really never stops coming back to you um, if you're intentional about spreading the word about it. I am not a numbers person as much as you, but I know that your work requires, I mean, my work requires it too, but it's good that your headspace is already there. 
But yeah, I really appreciate the qualitative aspect too is you're bringing in some of that body work or how did that feel? How did that, how did you show up? How do you feel about your safety in this environment? And how can we learn from that to make more, even better choices going forward? And you've been in this industry for some time now. We know how the media has been historically used. What are some of the trends and developments you're seeing in the world of PR that are either making you hopeful or, and probably in some cases, making you realize that your work is even more important than you initially thought? I'm seeing a lot of independent magazines pop up specifically aimed toward people with a cultural heritage. And I find that really empowering. Media is unfortunately not a very profitable endeavor. So I understand why they're not more of them or why they, they need so much funding. But I, I'm seeing a lot of that lately, which is encouraging. I'm also seeing podcasting become a much more competitive space than ever before. So I don't know, in the early days of online business, we're thinking like 2010, 2012, guest posting was like the thing to do to get eyes on your blog because they were called blogs then still. And that was like the number one way to go. And we shifted toward podcast guesting probably around 2016. And I'm seeing now a similar bubble burst. There is less conversion than ever in podcast guesting. There's more competition to get on shows. And the quality of the shows, while there are so many, many are subpar. And so it's difficult. You have to really figure out how to position yourself well. And you need to have a honed in message to stand apart from others who do similar work to, to yours. And then when you're on the interview, you get to show up in a stellar, resonant way to actually have the audience members click on that interview and follow through listening to the entire thing, which is so incredibly rare these days. So we're battling, we have a lot of challenges to battle and it's still working, right? So if we can prepare ourselves to overcome those obstacles, we still have a strategy that works in our favor. Hey, if you are enjoying the show, be sure you subscribe and join our community at trailblazingincolor.com, where we share resources, connect you with other amazing trailblazers in our trailblazer circles, and amplify our collective power. Hope we see you there. Okay, back to the show. So when you're first starting to engage with a client, or maybe even on that initial call, what are some of the questions you're asking or what are some of the ways that you engage them in this process to make sure they're ready with a honed in message and preparation to go on these shows and make an impact? Yeah, a lot of it comes down to a willingness to share many parts of you, which I find conflictual. <laughs> I don't know about you, Sarah, but on one hand, I get it, right? People want to feel connected to you and your story. And so they're asking for a lot of you. And so we feel obligated, and this is like influencer culture, right? To share everything, all of the gory details, every part of ourselves, and we keep nothing for ourselves. So there's, there's a, a negative aspect that we have to be aware of. And if you're willing to share most of your story and a lot of your details, but not all of them, perhaps, you are better equipped to find success with visibility like articles, contributions, interviews, YouTube, all of these mediums that we have at our disposal. So I look for readiness first in terms of like willingness to tell your story. And I, I look for comfort level too. How comfortable are you with being seen? Do you still have some hangups about it? I think we all have hangups. 
even at like our most healed level. And there are levels to that, right? So I, I look for that kind of comfort. And I also look for willingness to share because I find that some people are really eager to be seen, but they're not willing to reciprocate having been seen, if you know what I mean. So for example, they'll be on an interview, but they won't share with their audience. And the host is sharing everything. They're doing, they're doing all the heavy lifting. Um, and I really want to see a reciprocal relationship from both people. Hmm. So how, if you say you're too busy to share, you're not ready to work with me. Yeah, and noticing the, or just noting the emotional labor that it requires to really, and you mentioned healing, like this work of sharing your story and deciding what parts of you to share more widely, what parts of you to share less widely. So it's not just tactical work you're doing, I'm sure. It's that emotional support person to say, hey, you are ready. Your story is valid and people need to hear it. Which is tough to believe sometimes. We have a lot of stories in our heads. <laughs> so and they are, most of them are not nice. I know. I know. What are we doing with ourselves? <laughs> it's so hard. But that's why we need an, an external voice, a validating voice to say, yeah. no, you you did that. You did that. Mm-hmm. These are facts. There are facts here. You can have your feelings. But the facts of the matter is you are achieving these things in spite of or because of your hard work, in spite of what you've had to navigate by being who you are born into this world and no one can take that away from you I think that's another thing is we're always measuring ourselves up to our most recent success or win or failure quite often and not looking at the full scope so how do you help your clients kind of unearth that story if they haven't spent a lot of time there or I mean I'm, I think we're all thinking of our story so often and the negative stories but really to sit down and say this happened and then this happened and this is why I am who I am yeah it's a lot of research mm-hmm. which I love it is my jam so I will listen to every podcast they've ever been on or produce themselves I'll read all of their articles their book for example and if none of those exist, I'll tell them, tell me how you got here. And we'll go through all the details and I'll ask clarifying questions or I'll ask follow-up questions that get me to like the nugget of the story and also the details that are like the umbrella to hold it all together. Because there are so many stories that mirror one another that feel parallel Emma, but the details set you apart. And so I find that the most powerful pitches that I send, the ones that get the most noticed, are the ones that have important details that make a story stand out from others. I, I can't. I think this is the quote. This the specific is universal, or something along those lines, <laughs> where it is very specific and unique to you. But people can relate because of their own experience with that emotion, with that, with a significant challenge or life change, and so it is those details of the experience. That, that do stand out. They stand out. And that's why storytelling is so important, why we do it, the connection. Yeah. And I find it's interesting when people are asked to tell their stories, they tend to gloss over the detail because they want to get to the point. So that's an, a loss, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many people, right? Because we have a like 300-page novel, for example. The details really do make a difference. So I would encourage everyone to sit down and think, Instead of just giving the highlights or just the low light, what details really matter to help weave this story together? And how can I deliver those in a way that feels authentic 
and comfortable with who I am. Are there any details that we haven't given space to or you glossed over at the beginning of this interview that you want to share now? Mm. I would say, so one of the things that, one of the newest projects I've been working on is reviving my mom's manuscripts, which feels really full circle. So for my whole life, I've wanted to write books. And having her leave me this gift of an unfinished manuscript was just like, oh, are you telling me something? (laughs) This this need to happen. So I've been in collaboration with her finishing her novels, which is a part of the reason I wanted to take that year-long sabbatical was to like really commit to a full year of writing. And I think it's a beautiful circle, right, of you led me on this journey. And now here I am again, helping you finish yours Mm -hmm. and mine. And it's the legacy that she's leaving that you're helping her to bring ultimately to fruition. That's beautiful. Thank you for un- for not glossing over that detail. It's really important. And it really connects you to, it will connect you even more deeply, I'm sure, to your clients and what they're going through in this process and making you even that much more effective, I'm sure it already has in how you work with them and, and know their struggle because it's your struggle too. Yeah, there is a certain sense of camaraderie (laughs) with my client roster. Yeah. And how good is that to work with someone who truly understands what this means to you and how important it is? And it's not just about you. It's about the generations that came before you and those that will follow this path after you. It's so much bigger. Well, you're also a mom of a toddler. And I am also a mom. And I had toddlers. (laughs) So... How does motherhood influence your work? And does it inspire you at all? Yes, it does. But how? Of course. Of course. Always, yeah. I would say that I have never been more patient and more compassionate and kinder to myself than after having a child. There's In learning how to parent her, I've learned how to reparent myself, which is just, wow. Speaking of our thoughts right earlier, where they can be so mean and negative. I speak to my own mind now with the same kindness that I speak to Kiara, which is just like a massive shift that helps you move forward in a much more lighthearted way (laughs) than ever before. Like life just feels much less serious than it used to. Good. And so as as like a result, like business feels more fun. Connections feel uh, more meaningful. Like my relationships feel more meaningful. And also I have so much less energy for stuff that is like not meant for me like my this is happens to all parents right like your value of time massively increases and so you just are like much more respectful of your own value of time and then others as well yeah it's it's a nice outcome of motherhood because you have no choice (laughs) yeah so I would say before I had Kiara I was working 40 plus hour weeks always and now it's amazing if I hit 13 hours in a week and never work more than 13 hours because I figured out how to do it because she helped me. Kiara was my creative constraint. Ah, yes. Because otherwise uh-huh. it could just, you could just spend forever on. Yeah. But you have to, you have a finite amount of time because you've got her to spend time with and parent and role model for. I have, you are an inspiration to me for sure. I want to get there. I'm getting there. But, and motherhood being the balance, especially now I have an almost teenager and a 10-year-old and it becomes, I mean, it can just continues to be so important because they're now, they're really watching 
They know how mm-hmm. work works and they know what overexertion looks like and what mommy burnt out looks like. And so it yeah. also heightens that responsibility to model that for what a healthy relationship with work looks like. Yeah. And I will say, you know, it's interesting. You asked about it inspiring me. And I would say it just inspires me to be a better person every day, right? Rather than inspiring me to do more, to create more equity, like all that matters for me with Kiara, but it's such, parenting's in real time, right? But so much of what I want to leave for her is like how present I am today in this moment, rather than I'm like making sure that everyone can be equal in the media. It's like not, it doesn't connect the same way as it does like with my clients, for example. And that's, that's the most important thing. She's the most important thing. So everything else will get done and we'll follow around it. But yeah, center, our kids are at the center. So everything that we do has to roll up into, I'm not saying put yourself on the back burner or anything. Don't (laughs) get my message twisted. But they are at the center of every decision that we make because it is the most noble of duties that to, to raise a child and to raise one to have a better experience than you did and to to know more mm. about how things work than perhaps we did. Or how they don't. How <laughs> they don't work. The disservices of yeah. the ways our systems are designed. And I see that mm. too with my daughters because they've been going to marches and rallies since they oh, were wow. little, little. <laughs> and now mm. like they're telling me they're my body, my choicing when I have opinions about their hair or anything. Okay, yes, your body, your choice, your hair, your choice. But that's good. I want them to push back. I want them to push boundaries with me and practice that here in a safe space so they can go out in the world and feel more confident to do that too. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but my work has certainly informed how I parent Kiara because there's so much that I've had to learn about oppressive systems and equity and modalities for liberation that I bring into our households that I didn't have access to before. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't think many of us did. And our parents did the best they can knowing their experiences. But now we have a whole worldwide web and so much access to two different tools and resources that didn't exist before. And even looking at anti-racist education and how do we bring that at home. And I feel very fortunate that both of my daughters go to a school that I consider quite equitable and quite Mm anti-racist in the way they, the lens through which they teach and operate. So it is there there is lots to be hopeful for, both in parenting and motherhood, but also in the equity space. And your work is a big silver lining in that. So what are your hopes and aspirations for Ginkgo PR? What are my hopes and that? This is an excellent question that fresh off of sabbatical, uh, I've been thinking about a lot actually. I think it comes down to offering like a stepping stool right, to the people who wouldn't normally have access to that kind of media or exposure. Like that's really what I aim to do in the curation of my networks and how I approach their stories and the ways that I have conversations with journalists or editors or producers. My, my, goal, my aim always is to say, like, how can we create a safer, more equitable space for those people who, who have valid, beautiful stories to tell, but just aren't getting time of day from people who maybe they deem too important or her feelings aren't too important for these things. And so actually one of the initiatives I've been dreaming up for a couple of years is, do you, are you familiar with the 10% pledge that came um, as, as a result of 
the George Floyd murder in 2020. No. So a woman, I forget her name. I'll have to look it up for you later. Started asking corporations to devote 10% of their shelf space to black owned businesses. And so she had a bunch of them sign and follow through accountability. And I loved this idea of here is this like very clear metric. Here's what I'm asking you to do. And here's how to get there. And I thought, wouldn't this be so cool to do in the podcasting space where I said, you know, can we, can I, can you commit to a quarter of your guest roster being from underrepresented populations? And here's like a playbook of how you can do that. Here's like obstacles you, you might encounter. Can I count on you to have this done within six months or a year? And then we check back in. And I love the idea of just like shaking people out of their comfort zone and really getting them to say like, oh, there are actually clear ways that I can make this goal happen, even if it felt too hard or inaccessible before. And maybe from their vantage point, they've ever never even noticed that this is missing. Sure. I mean, that's probably sure. step one. Well, let's yeah. take a look. And But having really tangible ways to do that and recognize why it's such a problem, making the case for why it is such a challenge and giving people a challenge to rise to is very can be very influential so i think that's so cool keep us posted on it on as that unfolds but building something so much bigger than your goal is to influence and impact the media landscape and that could really transform a lot of things a lot of the same faces the same personalities and the same people that we see over and over again upending that dynamic. Mm-hmm. Well, we're coming towards the end and I wanted to shift into some quick takes and advice from you and a question that we always ask, which is who trailblazed the path for you? Who came before you and, and paved this way so you could be here doing what you do? Oh, so many people. Do we have time for that? We do. I, do, I feel like I bet you get this. So- 10 minutes. Go list them all. <laughs> I mean, first and foremost, it's always like great grandmother, grandmother, my mother, like a lineage of women who came before me just feels very, I understand and honor their sacrifice consistently, most resonant. And then there are people who I just return to again and again for guidance and wisdom. So there are people like Tara Brock, if you're familiar with her, she's like a meditation and mindfulness teacher. But it's just on a grumpy day, if I put her in my AirPod, everything's going to be fine. I know it's going to be fine. (laughs) There are people, I think I'd say novelists, uh, maybe Toni Morrison comes to mind. Adrienne Marie Brown is a big voice in the space who I consistently return to for uh, comfort and hope mm-hmm. in the midst of what feels like despair most days. People who just continue to tell their stories and to offer their perspective in a world that is not kind to diverse opinions. I think that is just, it takes a lot of bravery and courage to show up and be seen. And I never take that lightly. And you're doing the same thing. You're doing the work right there and looking and sourcing the inspiration as you need it. What advice do you have for others from historically marginalized communities, historically excluded groups on finding their voice, on being brave and courageous and sharing their story? I would say let it take the time it needs to take. Mm. We have a tendency to rush through or to push through because we see, I don't know, Jenna Kutcher selling her book on all of the media platforms and we're like me too I want to be there one day too and I would love for people to live at their own pace and to trust that like you will be opportunities met for you will always find you like it's not even a question about that 
is really trusting this process. Like if you don't feel ready to tell a certain part of your story, just don't tell it yet. One day it will feel right. And let's just trust that it's not today. And we can figure out what stories we can tell with comfort and with safety. Mm -hmm. So really there's just this sense of urgency we have. And I would love for all of us to just take a deep breath and chill out for a minute (laughs) because there's, we're only going to end up harming ourselves and potentially others if we push through what's just not right for right the timing right now. Mm -hmm. That's not ready yet. That's not healed yet. Mm -hmm. We're going to take some time. So it feels safe to tell. Well, how can people follow your work? How can people support you? And is there anything you want to promote? People can follow my work by going to ginkgopr.com. That's G-I-N-K-G-O. I can spell it. We'll put it in. We'll put it in there too. In the note. That's where I live. I don't play on Instagram or any of the social media platforms. So the, the website is the home base. I do have an email subscription. It goes out twice a month that has podcast pitch suggestions. So if you are DIYing your PR effort and you need an accessible option, that's a great place to go if you are like in self-help, health and wellness, BI, or leadership. Those are great. It's a great space for you to find well-vetted podcast suggestions. Nice. And where can people find info for that? Yes. It's at, it's called Pitch Slapped, and it's at pitchslapped.substack.com. Pitch Slapped. I love it. So clever. Well, Sherry, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for sharing more of you with us. And yeah, it's just so wonderful spending time with you. Thank you. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Trailblazing in Color podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to hit subscribe for future episodes. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at trailblazingincolor and at trailblazingincolor.com slash podcast. The Trailblazing in Color podcast is created and executive produced by me, Sarah Chapman Becerra. The Trailblazing in Color podcast season one production team includes Alicia Archer and the podcast Bestie team, led by Angie M. Jordan and supported by Gene Credit and Sarah Decker. Our theme song was composed by Troy Chapman. Thanks, Dad. <laughs>